0: We have an anchor. The anchor of the soul, soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch of the Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Fastened Mississippi. To the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And now, Mike Hickson. The gospel of Christ is indeed good news. The word gospel carries with it the idea of making known. Good news. If you were going to do a case study of what the gospel could do in the hearts and lives of people, you would be hard pressed to find a better example than that of the people in Corinth. God had done some amazing things through the preaching of the gospel in the hearts and lives of these people. I want us today to just think for a moment or two about how the gospel is good news. And there are some things that maybe we would do well to consider in light of what Paul says in the first four verses of this chapter. I want to begin by talking about the preaching of the gospel. Paul says in verse 1 that he declared to them the gospel. Sometimes we ask the question, what is the purpose of preaching? Listen, if you would, to what Paul said. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached... To you. In chapter 1, Paul addresses the subject of preaching, and he said it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save them which believe. The two purposes of the gospel, one is to evangelize, the other is to edify. Paul spent some 18 months in the city of Corinth, and in the city of Corinth, Paul preached the gospel to those people. As a result, many of those people in that city were saved from sin and unrighteousness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, Paul said, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? He said, Neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor idolaters, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, or revilers, or extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. But then he went on to say, and such were some of you. But it said, you were washed. Not only had they been washed, but they had been justified. They enjoyed a new relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason being because Paul had the opportunity, the privilege of preaching Christ to these people. Jesus would say in Mark 16, we talk about one of the purposes of the gospel. Jesus said, go therefore are going to all the world and preach the gospel to every nation. And so we preach the gospel so that people might have the opportunity to hear, believe, and obey the gospel. As a matter of fact, Luke tells us in Acts chapter 18 that many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized in verse 8. So, first there is the idea of evangelizing, and then second, there's the idea of edifying. Building people up in the faith. You remember in Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus would say, Go therefore make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In verse 20 he said, And teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And so the second facet of preaching is to build up, to edify people, to ground them in the faith. And then, hopefully and prayerfully, to grow people in the faith. Because Peter would say that we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I think about the declaration of the gospel, and then Paul provides us with the details of the gospel. Listen to what he says down in verse 3. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to... To the scriptures. When you think about the death of Jesus, what mental pictures or images come to your mind? I think about all of the prophecies that were penned in days gone by. You know, Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 53 identified Jesus as the suffering servant, and he said that he would bear the sins of many. The death of Jesus on Calvary's cross underscores to us the vileness of sin, doesn't it? Jesus was nailed to the cross because of our sins. We talk about Jesus going to the cross and paying that horrific price. Listen, if you would, to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Him who knew no sin, he became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Peter would say that he bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we being dead unto sin might live unto righteousness. Jesus went to the cross because of my sins and because of your sins. And Paul was writing to the church at Corinth. And he said, look, I have made known to you what I myself have received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. Paul understood that he, above all, was a sinner. You remember in writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, verse 15? He said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm chief. So here is the apostle Paul making known the fact that Jesus died for sin. Not only does it underscore to us the vileness of sin, but the value of the human soul. How much is your soul worth? How much is the soul of your child worth? Let me tell you what you can't put a monetary value on your soul. When I think about the tremendous value of the human soul, my mind automatically races to Romans chapter eight, where Paul said that God spared not his own son, but freely gave him up for us all. You wanna talk about the value of your soul? Let me tell you what, Jesus went to the cross because of you, individually. I understand collectively he died for the world, But Jesus went to the cross for me, for you. Do you remember what Paul said in Galatians chapter 2? He said, I've been crucified with Christ. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. And then he said, who loved me? And then he said, he gave himself for me. There is no way that I will ever be able to fully fathom the value of my soul to almighty God. I believe it. I can read about it. Listen if you would, to Paul in Romans chapter 5. He said, But God commendeth his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You mean to tell me that Christ died for the ungodly, the unrighteous, for the sinner? Absolutely. And why did he do that? Because he recognized the intrinsic value of your soul. You've been made in the image and the likeness of God. God's desire for you is to be saved, to understand the great blessings, the good news, if you please, of the gospel. Not only was Jesus put to death, but Paul said he was buried. The Bible tells us that Jesus was buried in a borrowed tomb. Joseph of Arimathea. Can you imagine those that took the lifeless body of Jesus down from the cross? And then the care? That would have gone into preparing his body for burial. To know that Jesus had paid that ultimate price for sin. And now that lifeless body has been given into the hands of his disciples that they might place it in a tomb. The story doesn't end there because Paul said, not only was he buried, but look at verse 4. He rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Let me just say this. The resurrection of Jesus is foundational to everything we believe. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ were fictitious, then the bottom line, we're out of business. I mean, what's our purpose? We have no hope. Listen, if you would, to what Paul says. Drop down and look at verse 13 of chapter 15. He said, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And he said, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is vain. And he said... Speaking to the people in Corinth, your faith is vain. He said, yes, and we have, and we are found false witnesses of God. Because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, listen again, your faith is futile or vain. Again, talking to the Corinthians. And then here's the clincher. And you are still in your sins. Paul, in writing to the church at Rome, said that Jesus was delivered for our offenses, but he was raised again for our justification in Romans 4, verse 25. And so in verse 18, Paul said, Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Christianity stands or falls on the basis of the resurrection, but thanks be to God that he was raised from the dead. Do you remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 4? Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. The resurrection validates the sonship of Jesus. Furthermore, it validates the Christian religion. And Paul's saying, look, when I preach to you, this is what I preached. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Because without that death and without that resurrection, we're lost. We have no hope. But the good news of the gospel is Jesus died for your sins. Not only was he buried, but he triumphed over the grave. The Hebrew writer said he destroyed him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Jesus Christ was victorious on the third day. There's a second thing I want you to see in our study. We talk about the preaching of the gospel. What about the power of the gospel? What kind of power is packaged in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Did you know that the gospel of Christ has the ability, the power to deliver people? ...from a life of sin, I want to first of all call attention to the focal point of the gospel. Listen again to what Paul said. Read with me in verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you... ...which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you're saved... ...if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received... ...that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The focal point of the gospel is none other than Jesus Christ, the Son of God. When Paul would write his second letter to the church at Corinth, he would say to those people, We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus our Lord, and ourselves as your servants for his sake. The apostle Paul lifted high Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And why did he do that? Because he understood Jesus is the only way. Do you remember Jesus in John chapter 14, verse 6? When he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Do you remember when he wrote to Timothy and he said that salvation is in Christ? To know that we have the opportunity to talk to people about the focal point of the gospel. To talk to people about Jesus. There are a lot of terms that are used to describe Jesus in the scriptures. But above all, he is the savior of the human family. The angel of God announced to Joseph, before the Son of God was born into this world, that Mary would bring forth a child, a son. And he said, you will call his name Jesus. And he said, he will save his people from their sins. When we preach Jesus Christ, we're preaching the Savior of the world. John said in 1 John 4, verse 14, We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. We don't need to miss that, to know that Jesus has the ability to save. So first there is the focal point of the gospel, and then secondly, there is forgiveness through the gospel. That's what we need to understand. When people's lives have been broken and shattered by a life of sin, when people have gotten caught up in a way of life that they know doesn't necessarily harmonize with what what the Bible teaches, they need to understand that there is hope. The gospel is a message of hope. We talk about the gospel being a message of redemption and reconciliation. It is. But to know that there is hope for people who are drowning in the sea of sin and unrighteousness. I want you to listen again to what Paul said. Go back with me again to verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. The gospel has the power to save the soul. When Paul wrote to the people in Rome, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel has the ability to change the hearts and lives of people. You remember when Paul and Silas went to the city of Thessalonica? For three Sabbaths, they preached the gospel to those people. And they talked about Jesus Christ and The fact that he was the fulfillment of Old Testament scripture. Many of those people believed in Thessalonica. Some didn't believe. The charge was made, these men that have turned the world upside down have come here too. They had turned the world upside down by preaching and teaching the gospel. And in their preaching and teaching of the gospel, people were being saved. Lives that had been shattered and marred by sin were being reclaimed. There are two things I want you to think about with me for just a moment. Relating to the forgiveness that we have through the gospel. First, there's what I call the operation of the gospel. Jesus is called the great physician, isn't he? I want you to read this with me because I think it's very, very important. Look with me for just a moment at Colossians chapter two. In Colossians chapter two, the apostle Paul talks about this spiritual surgery or operation that occurs in the hearts and lives of people when they obey the gospel. Now, What you need to understand is the gospel mandates that we come to an understanding of who Jesus is, that he's the son of God. The Lord said, except you believe that I'm he, you'll die in your sins. We have to believe that Jesus is the divine son of God, that he's who he claimed to be. And then also there is the necessity of repenting or turning away from a life of sin. On Pentecost Day to those that had been guilty of putting the son of God to death, Peter said, repent, Acts 2 verse 38. And then I think about the eunuch that confessed Jesus to be the Son of God, to have that opportunity to make the great confession. But then there is immersion in water. Why is it so important that we are baptized into Jesus Christ? Well, I guess maybe to just sum it up very quickly, because when we're baptized into Christ, we contact the blood of Christ. Jesus shed his blood in death, John 19, 34. In order for us to appropriate the benefits of that blood which washes away our sins, we have to go where that blood was shed. That's why in Romans chapter 6, verse 3, Paul said, Know ye not that all we who are baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. So it's at that point that we contact the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus. Now, look with me at Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. Paul here is going to use a figure of speech to convey a great spiritual truth. And he's going to talk about this operation that occurs through the gospel. He said, in him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, under the old covenant, God's people were circumcised. There was a physical rite that took place Involved in that circumcision was the cutting away of flesh. What Paul is going to do is use this figure to talk about the spiritual circumcision that takes place. And there is a cutting away. It is a figurative cutting away. Look with him in verse 12. Buried with him in baptism. In which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God. Who raised him from the dead. Now verse 13. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. When are, when are our sins cut away? You remember the physical rite of circumcision? There is the cutting away of flesh. When we're baptized into Christ, there is the cutting away, spiritually speaking, of sin and unrighteousness. Listen again to what Paul said. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. By putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Well, when did all that happen? He said at one point in time you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. But when that circumcision occurred, what happened? You were forgiven all your trespasses. So when we're baptized into Jesus Christ, It is that point in time that we contact the blood of Christ. We enjoy all the many blessings and benefits of being a child of the living God. So there is what is called the operation of God. And then there is the transformation that occurs. Now you think about the people in Corinth. Paul characterized these people as adulterers, idolaters, homosexuals. He said they were drunkards and thieves, extortioners. I mean, these folks, I mean, to put it bluntly, you want to talk about people that were messed up? Guess what? The relevance of the gospel. People today struggle with the same sins. People today have the same problems. The gospel, ha- however, has the ability to change the hearts and lives of people. So when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in his second letter, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, he said, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When we're baptized into Christ... We're buried with him in that watery grave of baptism. But Paul said in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, we rise to walk in newness of life. When you come up out of that water, that old man of sin is dead, gone. That's the picture. You emerge a new creature in Christ. And so Paul could say, look, when you're in Christ, you are a new creation. Whatever is in your past is in your past. It's over with. The beauty of the gospel is that I don't have to bear my past any longer. Whatever I've said, whatever I've done, wherever I've been, that would be out of harmony with the will of God, I can know that I've been saved. I can know that I'm a child of God. Listen, when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, and again, you think about those people that lived in Corinth, and here were folks that were adulterers and idolaters and fornicators and homosexuals and thieves and covetous and drunkards and revilers and extortioners. You've got all these people making up the church at Corinth. And here's how he addresses them. To the church of God which is at Corinth. To them which are sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints. Did you get that? Here were people who at one time had been in sin. And Paul said now you've been sanctified. You've been set apart from the world unto God. You are a saint of the most high God. You're something special. And why is that? Because of your relationship to the Lord. You're a new creature. You're a new person. The beauty of living the Christian life is summed up in the words of the Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 8 verse 12. When he said, "I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more." Let me tell you what. You want to talk about people in a world today that need this message. There are people in our world today, their lives are they they are so eaten up and consumed with guilt. Their lives have been broken. Their dreams have been shattered. They, they look at themselves in the mirror and they ask the question, what's the purpose of life? What am I doing here? Who in the world would want anything to do with me? There are folks in our world today, they have this concept, there's just no way a gracious God in heaven could ever love them. Much less, much less save them. Let me tell you what, that gracious God in heaven, that's why he sent his son to the world to save you, to save us. God sent his son to deal with the problem of sin and he dealt with it and to know that we can be a new person in Christ Jesus. I want to ask you a question this morning. Can you think of a better message than that? I mean, you think about all the messages that are being propagated in our world today and all of the self-help remedies and this and that and all the books that have been written and the speeches that have been made. People talk about try this, try that, do this, do that. Let me tell you what, you want a better life? You want a life that that will bring you blessings untold, become a Christian, become a child of God. Let the Lord Jesus Christ work in your life and through your life. You'll feel better, you'll think better, you'll act better. The beauty of it all is you'll have a hope that cannot compare to anything offered in this world, the hope of life eternal, Titus 1-2. There's a third thing I want you to see very quickly, the precepts of the gospel. Note again verse 2, Paul said that he preached the gospel to them and he said, by which you're saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. What is it the Lord Jesus Christ wants from those of us who belong to him? He wants us to consecrate our lives to him, doesn't he? Again, I think about Paul's words to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And he talks about those that belong to the Lord. He said that they should no longer live unto themselves. But, he said, we are to live for him who died for us. The idea is my life is to be wrapped up in the Son of God. He is to become the hub of my life. In other, in other words, everything is to focus around him. Why is that? Because I belong to him. Because Jesus is my Lord. He is the King of my life. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So he is the King of my life. He is the Lord of my life. Here's what the Lord wants from us. First of all, he wants, he wants a life of surrender. Surrendering our lives and our will to him. To, to understand that my life now belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. As Paul would say in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have surrendered my life to him. Sometimes we sing the song, All to Jesus, I surrender. I surrender all. Coming to Jesus entails surrendering all and then submitting all. If Jesus is the King of my life and if he is the Lord of my life, that... That really says to me, he calls the shots. Whatever the Lord says to do, that's what I have to do. How did Jesus demonstrate his love for us? Did he just do it verbally? No, he didn't, did he? He showed his love. How do we show our love for Jesus? Here's what he said. If you love me, keep my commandments. Submitting to the will of God. Doing what he says to do. And then, as a child of God, I become a servant. Now, it's not something that's forced upon me. I become a servant of the Most High God because I want to. I want to serve him. I want to live for him. Paul, in writing to the church at Rome, said, And being free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. Let me tell you what. To know that I have the opportunity to serve in the kingdom of God. In Ephesians 2, verse 10, Paul said that we've been created in Christ Jesus under good works. Paul here is simply saying this. You are God's masterpiece. As my masterpiece, I want you to use your life to my glory. How do I do that? By serving. And then there's a final thing. The Lord wants me to be steadfast. Are there highs and lows in life? Absolutely. Are there joys and frustrations in living here on planet Earth? You better know there are. Are there good times and bad times? Absolutely. We can all attest to that. But through thick or thin, here's what Paul said. In light of the resurrection of Jesus, in light of the future resurrection of every person, Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That is, I'm digging in, and I'm saying, Lord, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to be faithful to you, come what may. I'm I'm going to overcome. If I get knocked down, I'm going to stand up, and I'm going to do my best each and every day. I want to close by saying we talk about the gospel being the good news. It is good news. It's good news to share with the lost and dying world. It's good news because when we come to the end of the road here on planet Earth, it's not the end. Not the end as we know it. Now, I understand at death, the body is placed in the cemetery, but that spirit, that inward man, oh, it goes to be with the Lord. One day known to God, Jesus will come. He might come in our lifetime. He may not come in our lifetime. It might be the case that we will step out into eternity having walked the corridor of of death. I was thinking about how to illustrate this. I got to thinking yesterday about when I was just a boy. I was eight years of age. Two of my best friends, older brother, set the state record at that time in high jump in the state of Tennessee. And his daddy was an elder in the church. I never will forget when when Danny came home from the state meet. His daddy had taken a sheet, and he had used shoe polish to write on the sheet, Welcome home, state champ, because he won the state. Welcome home, state champ. I got to thinking about us. When we step out into eternity, you know, the Bible talks about how the angels of God bore the spirit or soul of Lazarus to the bosom of Abraham. He went to paradise, as Jesus would say in Luke 23. When we step out into eternity to be with God, the Bible says we're absent from the body, but we're present with the Lord. I can just imagine hearing the words, welcome home. You're home. One day I want to go home. I want to go home to be with people that I've known and loved. I want to go home to be with the Lord. I want to go home to be with God. We talk about Christianity. And the importance of Christianity, the importance of this message to people. Why is it so important? Because we understand that there is a home waiting on all of us. And we want to go there. And we want others to follow. One day, won't it be grand to hear the Lord say, welcome home? You could hear him say that. The Lord Lord will say to you, if you've obeyed the gospel, welcome home. Here's what you need to do, just very simply. Believe Jesus is the Son of God. Repent of your sins, confess his name before others, and be immersed in a watery grave of baptism. God will put you in his church, Acts 2.47. You'll be numbered among the redeemed, Ephesians 5.23, because he's the savior of the body. If you're unfaithful to the cause, could I encourage you, come home. Come back to a loving God who will abundantly pardon. Come home. One day we're all going home if we've so lived as God would have us to live. Fastened to the rock which cannot move Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love